0: Welcome to IPR Radio, I'm Sanjay Mukherjee. In today's episode, we speak to Dr. Sudipto Haldar, research dieter, Aggravate Research and Advisory Private Limited on fermentation of unconventional raw materials, the future feeding strategy. Having started his career with academics, Dr. Haldar now runs the research and development wing of Aggravate Research and Advisory Private Limited, an organization which provides research and nutritional consultancy to its partners worldwide after obtaining his bachelor's degree in veterinary science dr halda did his post graduation from the national dairy research institute Karnal, and then obtained his phd in animal nutrition post this he entered into teaching and research in animal nutrition at the west Bengal university of animal and fishery sciences kolkata in his present role as research director Agrivet research and advisory private limited dr halda liaises with service seekers who want to test the efficacy of their products under the typical tropical climatic conditions. In this way, Dr. Haldar links Aggravate Research and Advisory Private Limited with the global R&D centers of organizations which are engaged with poultry production. Apart from the research and development works that he does, Dr. Haldar is engaged in providing nutritional support to clients spread over parts of India, Bangladesh, Nepal, and Bhutan. After the break.
1: In the orchestra of life, each creature plays a part. At Sapience, we see the web of life, where the health of animals reverberates through ecosystems and societies. With innovative technologies, we're redefining the future of agribusiness, sustainably enhancing productivity and profitability. We don't just dream of a better future. We make it. Food safety, quality, and security these aren't just words. They're our mission. We're sapients. And we're committed to healthier animals because we believe in healthier living. Be a part of our melody. And together, let's compose a better world. For more information about our products and solutions, log into sapiensagri.com.
0: Good morning, Dr. Haldar, and welcome to IPR Radio. Good
2: morning, Mr. Mukherjee.
0: Nice to have you here today. Thank you very much. Uh, Despite several supply chain disruptions, the demand for animal protein has been growing consistently, driven by the association of uh, rich protein food or protein-rich food with wellness, health, and immunity. However, volatility in the pricing of several raw materials has forced the animal feed industry to explore the usage of alternative raw materials to produce quality feed. Exactly. However, these unconventional raw materials, as they're called, often pose challenges to performance issues. This can be mitigated through the use of fermentation technology, thus turning waste into treasure. So, as we go into this discussion, Dr. Halda, I'd like to ask you a few uh, key questions to explain this concept to us. See, nowadays we hear a lot about the use of unconventional raw materials for animal feed. Can you? Uh, elucidate on what are considered unconventional raw materials and how do they differ from the so-called traditional raw materials?
2: OK, fine. Uh, well, Mr. Mukherjee, as you can see from the terminology itself, that unconventional. So common people, this unconventional means the raw materials with which the producers are not really familiar with. Mm-hmm. That means they are available, but not to that extent. They are not amply available, so they are available sporadically. They are available in certain pockets of a country, or or in a region. And as a result of these, these raw materials cannot be termed as a widespread usable raw materials. And apart from that, these raw materials are having some own restrictions because of the presence of certain anti-nutritional factors, or maybe some toxins, or maybe some other materials which are not really favorable for the growth of the animals. So considering all these things, there are certain raw materials which may be of protein in nature or maybe of energy source which can be used but with some limited applications. These raw materials are termed as the unconventional raw materials. If I give you some examples, for example, uh, copra mill, which is available uh, to a great extent in the coastal areas of India, but you cannot get the copra mill in the northern part of India.
0: So this copra
2: mill will be considered as an unconventional raw material. It can be used in dairy cattle, it can be used in poultry, but to a limited extent and not everywhere in in, in the Indian subcontinent. So, this Mm -hmm. is one example Mm of unconventional feed.
0: Right, right. So, uh, what are the main challenges associated with the use of these uh, unconventional raw materials? Why are they not mainstream, so to speak?
2: exactly this is this is this is a very pertinent question in fact you know that one of the challenges as i have told you just now that these are not available amply and you cannot you cannot say that all the unconventional raw materials will be available all over the country and uh, to a constant extent so that i can plan as a producer of right. poultry feed or dairy feed that i can include this particular raw material throughout the year up to this extent apart from these the main challenge with this unconventional raw material is relative to the presence of certain anti-nutritional factors the anti-nutritional factors for example meal. this is available widespread in the right. western part of the country like in rajasthan in some parts of Gujarat, and maybe in some parts of haryana and it's a fantastic source of protein can you think of a protein meal which contains more than 50 percent of protein consistently but the main problem is that this worm meal it contains a huge quantity of galactomanum which is a gum-like substance yes. mm-hmm. so if this gum is present this gum cannot be digested by the monogastric animals so this is something which will hinder the use of worm meal as a source of protein in any monogastric diet we cannot use it in the same way if you consider for example, say say bran, any bran, like DOL oil rice bran, or wheat bran. These bran-like substances, they contain some trapped nutrients. They contain huge mm-hmm. quantity of fiber, fruit fiber. Not only fruit fiber, there are a lot of other anti-nutritional factors which bind the carbohydrate part within this bran fraction in such a way that this bran cannot be digested by the monogastric animals. So whatever nutrient is present over there, they cannot be digested. They will remain trapped. They will be remain. They will remain unutilized by the animals. As a result, these raw materials cannot be used to a great extent in any animal feeding program, unless some treatments are given to these raw materials to make the nutrients available for digestion in the animal system.
0: Right, right. So another concept we hear of uh, nowadays in its greening ground is fermented raw materials. So what is, what are fermented raw materials and uh, what are its applications?
2: Okay, this fermentation, actually, actually, if you think about this fermentation technology, the fermentation means you are simply exposing any substance, any biological substance rather, uh, to some microorganisms. The microorganisms, it may be fungus, it may be bacteria, it may be both. Now, when the biological substance is exposed to these microorganisms, so the microorganisms use these biological material as their substrate to grow. So they grow on these biological materials, they derive the nutrients from there, and they release some metabolites, half-digested materials, into the medium where they grow. So this is the basic fermentation technology in a very, I I can say that uh, in a very nutshell, or you can say in a very easier terminology now considering this fermentation of the raw materials actually it comes from the fermentation of soybean mill soybean mill despite being a very conventional raw material was the first conventional or i can say that the protein mill which was subjected to fermentation Mm -hmm. the reason is the fermentation makes the raw material easily digestible but if i share a screen here if you allow me then I can make the thing more. Please, different.
0: please, please.
2: Paint. okay. So, this is actually a scheme of how fermentation is done with soybean meal. This yellow background, this actually represents a single soybean particle. This soybean meal is fermented with a fungus aspergillus Niger. This funga, fungus, actually they grow into the particle of the soybean mill. The hyphae grow inside, just like this. So a tree-like structure develops inside the particle of soybean mill. And this, from this hyphae, the fungus secretes some enzymes, mainly oh. the proteolytic enzymes. These proteolytic oh. enzymes, what actually they do? They digest the digret, the protein which is present inside this soybean mill particle. So finally, this entire material becomes digested or you can say that half digested. If this entire material is now digested with a secondary bacteria, for example, bacillus subtilis. so this bacillus subtilis they secrete further proteolytic enzymes. So the proteolytic enzymes secreted by aspergillus niger. And the proteolytic enzyme secreted by a secondary bacteria like bacillus subtilis, both of them work together and they make the soybean milk particle digested, half-digested. The same concept can be applied for other raw materials as well, where a particular species of fungus or a particular species of bacteria should be identified. The raw material needs to be fermented in presence of this bacteria or the fungus, and the entire process will make the material half digested. And once this half digested material is included in the dietary regimen of any animal, it is expected that the digestion process will proceed in a much better way. In a much better way, in the way because the material which was otherwise undigested to a great extent has now become digested material. So naturally you can expect that the animals will be able to extract more amount of nutrients from this fermented raw material. Right.
0: Right. So uh what have been the or what are the key drivers behind the exploration of fermentation of uh, unconventional raw materials today? What is driving this uh... Yeah. The, see, see, one of the
2: one of the explanations that you have already given that the prices of the raw materials are increasing. Every day, actually, there is a rise in drop- prices of the raw materials and especially the protein meals are uh, the main problem which is actually uh, restricting the exploitation of the full genetic potential of our livestock that is true we have to accept the fact now the protein meals are always costly and if the protein meals are costly then we need to find out something which will be cheaper but at the same time it should provide the same level of nutrition as the conventional raw materials provide to our animals. Sure. Now, out of the conventional raw materials, probably there is no other uh, available option but for soybean meal. Because this is yeah. this is most consistent in nature. It's available around the year. It's available throughout the world. And uh, to be honest, apart from soybean meal, there is no other protein meal which can really support the growth of the first growing animal species nowadays, especially the monogastric animals, the poultry as well mm-hmm. as the swine. The question comes that if this is the case, then what will happen if soybean bill becomes not available, becomes unavailable, then what will happen? We don't know. We don't have any answer. So this is the main driving force, probably, that is actually forcing everybody to find out an alternative to the soybean bill. And this is the main driving force. This is the main driving force i must say and there is another very important important driving force here which is which which probably we uh from the indian perspective we do not take care of but globally it is very important uh, the carbon footprint this is right. extremely important right. for soybean the plantation soybean plantation the carbon footprint is extremely high extremely high especially if you consider the facts of when when soybean is harvested in southern part of america then how much carbon footprint it it yields, it's a huge amount. So the only alternative by which this soybean carbon footprint can be reduced is just to convert this soybean meal into a concentrated protein. So this can be exploited to some other meals as well. Instead of soybean meal, definitely some other meals which are rich in protein, which can provide some good quantity of nutrients to the animals. They can be converted to some easily digestible and easily available Uh, mills for the animals and this should be the main another driving force for you know this fermentation technology
0: right it's interesting you should say that because I was going to ask you uh, about the sustainability uh, you know in terms of sustainability how does fermentation uh, of unconventional raw materials compared to uh, traditional raw materials from the sustainability angle so that's where the carbon footprint is what you're talking about
2: yes 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 this is very important because sustainability is the major issue you know that the sustainability oh. if if any 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 procedure any process is developed and it doesn't uh appear to be sustainable then the future of this particular uh procedure becomes questionable now so far as so far as i understand so i understand regarding the sustainability of productivity of animals with the help of this fermented mm-hmm. raw materials it is enormous it should be enormous to be honest you know that um, if, you, if you compare the conventional protein mills, for example, our, our discussion will be mainly concentrated around the protein mills because the protein mills are very, you know, that inevitable you have to use it. And at the same time, they are costly and there is oh. no such replacement. So our discussion will be mainly focused on the protein mills. Now, the point is that these protein mills, if you consider soybean mill as a standard, and if you consider any other unconventional raw material, take the example of say, say cotton seed meal, you take the example of uh, maybe guar meal or, or any animal protein sources like slaughterhouse byproducts. So, if you consider the protein content of these unconventional, so-called unconventional meals with soybean meal, which is a standard, they are comparable, absolutely comparable. Consider the amino acid composition. Excellent amino acid composition. In some cases, you may even find uh, some amino acid densities are quite higher than that present in soybean meal, and I'm talking about the high protein variant of the soybean meal, forty percent or fifty percent soybean meal. So, if this is the case, the main problem is that these nutrients, which are present in these unconventional, so-called unconventional raw materials, can we use them somehow? This is the main question. Unfortunately, the answer is mostly negative. The mm-hmm. animals cannot digest because of the presence of number of anti-nutritional factors now here right. we need to remember one point that if you consider the anti-nutritional factors they are present in soybean meal as well it's not that the soybean meal is completely pure raw material it also contains number of anti-nutritional factors but what we how how we have dealt with the situation we have simply treated it in such a way that the, all the nutritional factors are nullified, neutralized. So, we can do the same with these unconventional raw materials. Think about cotton seed meal. It contains gossipal. It's a it's an anti-nutritional factor, we know. But now, the cotton seed meal is de-gossipalized. So, this gossipal doesn't pose any problem to the animals when it is fed to the monogastric animals. Take the example of, say, canola meal or seed meal, it contains that glucosinolates. Now, there are variants which doesn't contain any glucosinolate, the cannulamyl, the double zero variant. So, we have already handled this situation. Now, this fermentation technology, that will be one step ahead. Here, we are targeting those anti-nutritional factors which are actually trapping the nutrients which are already present there
0: mm-hmm.
2: and converting the same material to an easily digestible material for the monogastric animal. If we consider the monogastric, or compare the monogastric animals with a ruminant species, a cow, you can you can you can understand very easily. We can feed any material to a cow. Why? Because it contains the fermentation bag, the rumen. So there, all the unconventional raw materials are converted to a simply digested, half digested material. So this right. is the same thing what we are going to do here with the help of this fermentation technology. We are fermenting the material outside the system, converting it to uh, half-digested material and now feeding them to the monogastric animals and expecting some better results.
0: We'll be back after a short commercial break.
1: That is a wake-up call against the growing shadow of antibiotic resistance over our poultry, our health, and our world. To fight this menace, Excelsio, a natural, antibiotic, free performance enhancer, marshals an army of bacteriophages, each engineered by evolution to engage a specific bacterial adversary. Excelsio uses a cocktail of bacteriophages that protects your flock against various strains of Salmonella, E. coli, Clostridium, Perfringens, and Staphylococcus aureus. Excelsio is more than a product. It's our shield against antimicrobial resistance. It's our stand for a safer, healthier future. For more information about our products and solutions, log into sapiensagri.com.
0: So are there, uh, you know, any regulatory or safety concerns regarding the use of these uh, so-called unconventional raw materials? And because we're ultimately kind of, they're entering the food chain of humans as well. So. Are there any uh, you know, concerns there? Like, for example, you spoke about uh, cotton seed meal. We know the cotton in this country is a, is a genetically modified cotton that we're using here. Yeah. So, does that or you know have any impact uh, from the from a regulatory perspective?
2: I, I understand your question. So far, I know that there should not be any. There is no rather there is no regulatory restrictions regarding the use of the cotton seed, I, I mean this fermented raw materials. Because there are certain certain organizations which are converting uh, some protein meals into these fermented protein meals. Uh, and these fermented protein meals are used in European countries, in some some parts of South Asia without mm-hmm. any regulatory hassle, to be honest. Yeah.
0: now, So far as uh,
2: human safety is concerned, there, there there, are certain points, definitely there mm-hmm. are certain
0: points. Okay.
2: For example, okay. you are fermenting. Here we are planning to ferment the material. So the fermentation actually needs to be a controlled one. Mm-hmm. The fermentation end product will be a semi-solid or viscous material that needs to be dried up that must be checked for any other chemicals or mycotoxins which may be present as residue. Because if the material is not properly dried, if the material is not properly, you can say, the dehumidified, then there is a high possibility that it will attract growth of molds and fungus. Right. If this is so, in that case, you can expect that uh, some abnormally high development of mycotoxins over there. And if mycotoxins are present and if it goes uncontrolled into the animal feed, then there is a possibility that that will be present as a residue in the meat and the eggs and ultimately it may impact animal uh, human health mm. so this possibility is there of course
0: right 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 so how do you envision the scalability of using fermentation processes using unconventional raw materials to meet at the you know the global food demand because that's what we're all working towards
2: yeah this scalability this scalability should be our challenge should be a challenge in what sense you know that uh, there are certain points which needs to be kept in mind when the fermentation of a raw material is done and is converted to uh, raw material which will be ultimately included in the final ration of animals replacing the conventional protein mills like soybean mill. Now, the fermentation should be guided in such a way that it ferments most of the protein up to the level of small peptides remember this should be converted to the level of peptides the fermentation must not continue to the level of producing individual amino acids or very small peptide molecules for example this dipeptides or 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 tripeptide it should be something like an oligopeptide Mm -hmm. now the size of the fermented end product is very important because you know that the protein molecules which are present in any protein barrel even in soybean mill uh, is quite bigger, more than 10,000 daltons or something like that. The point is soybean meal can be easily digested because its digestibility is high, inherent digestibility is high. But for the unconventional protein meals, the digestibility is low. So, these bigger molecules cannot be digested by the animals. The objective of the fermentation will be to reduce the particle size below 10,000 daltons, but it should be stopped somewhere before the fermentation produces very small peptides and individual amino acids. Because if the fermentation continues to that extent, in that case, the whole material will be extremely sticky. It will be unpalatable. It cannot be dried up properly. And so it will be difficult to handle. So this is one of the reasons that the scalability of this entire operation may be a bit problematic. There is another point actually. For example, Say, say you need 300 metric tons of a fermented protein meal every month so this means you should produce at least 10 metric tons of this material every day now there will be a considerable loss of dry matter during the process of fermentation now we are not yet very much sure about what is the extent of dry matter loss this needs to be standardized but you can expect that at least twice the amount of the end product that should be fed to the system to produce say X quantity of the end product. So if I need say 10k 10 tons of uh, fermented product, I must feed the system with at least 20 to 30 tons of raw material to the system. Now, once the process starts, then definitely it will it will continue, it will continue and will, will, will produce the end product in a continuous manner but how much this is scalable it is still a bit questionable because right. considering considering all these uh, constraints of the size of the palatability issues so a lot of standardization is required especially with regard to the unconventional ones with regard to soybean the will the process has been standardized but it mm-hmm. is not standardized uh, so far as the unconventional raw materials are concerned
0: so basically, for commercialization, that is an important uh, uh, angle, right? Exactly. The commercialization mm. is an important mm. angle. Mm. Right, mm. right. So Dr. Haldar, uh, what are the implications of using uh, fermented and conventional uh, raw materials on animal health and welfare? Because that's something that's also very important to kind of understand. OK. Uh,
2: see. If the raw material, which is fermented, processed properly, dried up properly, stored properly, and it appears to be free from any residual chemicals, residual toxins, then this should be absolutely free, and this uh, absolutely okay for animal consumption. There should not be any problem. You just take the example of say DDGS, which is very common mm. in case of poultry or in case of you know that right. uh, swine. The main question is that, that so far the DDGS is properly dried; it doesn't contain any chemical toxin; it doesn't contain any residual mycotoxin or fungus. Absolutely fine. But if somehow it contains some chemical toxins, for example, you have used we have used say corn as a substrate, and the corn contains a huge quantity of you know that the, the uh, pesticide, and that pesticide comes into the DDGS right. without our notice. So it will be there in the DTGS and it will get a problem for the animal. So that part needs to be taken care of. And we have to ensure that whatever material is going into the fermentation process Mm -hmm. that is that is checked properly and doesn't contain any 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 residual toxin. So so far this is taken care of. There should
0: not be any problem. Absolutely fine. Okay, that's wonderful to hear. Dr. Halda, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today and thank you for taking time out, you know, to be with us and uh, for this wonderful uh, discussion, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you so much. To be notified of upcoming podcasts, like and subscribe our YouTube channel at IPR Radio today.